Amen. Let's look in uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. I'm glad the Lord always knows what's going on. Amen. And uh, we can trust in the Lord. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and so we rejoice that God directs our paths each and every day of our life. I want to share a message entitled, Lord, Is It I? Out of Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to begin reading in uh, verse 17. It says, now the first, uh, there's a hum up here, Mike. It's been going on for a while, so I don't know what's going on. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, uh, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they uh, made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, uh, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this evening. Uh, it's always a blessing to gather around the Lord's table and uh, refresh our soul, Lord. Uh, just remembering uh, what the price was that was paid so that we could be saved. And uh, Lord, we appreciate the fact that Christ came into this world and uh, gave his life as a perfect sacrifice before God so that we might be able to be reconciled unto a holy God and we can be assured of the fact that heaven is our home I pray for each of us tonight Lord that we might allow the spirit of God to impress on our hearts uh, different ways uh, that we can slip into this thing of denying the Lord and rejecting Christ and Lord I pray that we might have a spirit that would be willing just to cry out Lord is it I and uh, it's always easy to point fingers at someone else, but Lord, we need to look into the mirror, the mirror of God's word, and allow the spirit of God to reveal to us what needs to be made right. And we'll praise you, God, and thank you for what you're going to do in each of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our text verse is verse 22. It says, and they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? We know this passage. It's a very tender passage, very tender moment in the life of the disciples because of the fact that Jesus had desired to observe the Passover feast with his disciples just prior to him being crucified on the cross. And uh, it was a time of revelation uh, because as Jesus would gather with his disciples, he would reveal to them that he literally was the Passover lamb. And uh, what, was, what they, Israel was celebrating <coughs> in reference to the lamb that set them free out of bondage in Egypt, 
It would be Christ who would be the sacrificial lamb that would set them free from all the bondage of all their sin and give them hope of eternal life. And so it's a time of revelation. It's not just a time of revelation, but it's a time of reconciliation. And the reconciliation that took place was that Jesus, <coughs> sorry, I got something in my throat here. Jesus will offer his body and his blood as a sacrifice so that man could be brought back into fellowship with God. When Adam and Eve sit in the Garden of Eden, their relationship, their fellowship with God is bro was broken. And as a result of it, God would slay the animal, the blood would be shed, and the skins would be provided to cover up the sinfulness of man. And uh, it provided the opportunity for man once again to be reconciled in his relationship and friendship with his God and his creator. And so Jesus is revealing the fact that he is the Passover lamb, but he's also showing reconciliation that through his sacrifice, dying on the cross and his blood being shed, uh, provided a way for man to be able to be right with a holy God. Uh, we observe the Lord's table by eating of the bread and drinking of the juice, which represents the body of Christ being broken and his blood being shed. So we know that we're reconciled unto God through that sacrifice that was offered. But as he would meet and observe the Passover uh, with his disciples, it was a time of conviction. And it was a time of conviction because of the fact that Jesus would reveal there would be an act of betrayal. And uh, literally in our verse, text verse, every one of them, all 12 of them said, they became exceeding sorrowful and said, Lord, is it I? So the things that Christ is revealing in reference to he being the Passover lamb and the fact that they needed to be reconciled unto God through the sacrifice and offering of his own body brought conviction immediately upon the disciples and they wondered, am I the one that's going to be betraying the Lord? And so it was a time of conviction also. The disciples were exceeding sorrowful. The interesting thing is Judas Iscariot is just simply intellectually sorrowful. He's just intellectually requesting information. In verse 25, it tells us Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said, very different response from verse 22. Verse 22 is the disciples being exceedingly sorrowful, being mournful, and being in a, literally emotionally in a, state, a state of distress. But when Judas speaks to the Lord, he is just simply wanting to get information. Uh, Lord, is it I who is going to betray you? And I think sometimes we, for, we have to assess and evaluate our response to Christ in Mark chapter 14 in uh, verse 19 tells us says they began to be sorrowful uh, and to say unto him one by one is it I and then it, then it says this another one said is it I so the response of the 11 disciples is completely different than the response of Judas Iscariot and you're either going to respond to the Lord based on a, a, a sorrowful conviction of the Holy Spirit upon your heart in reference to who Christ is, 
or you're just going to respond to God in an intellectual matter, just wanting to get information. And I, I think this makes all the difference in the world in reference to what the spirit of the church will be. You know, we have in, in 2019, we, it seems like we have everybody wants to be so intellectual, but nobody wants to be spiritual. Uh, people want to have all kinds of information, but they don't want to do anything about it. And uh, we wonder why no revival comes. Far too many Christians approach God with simply a request for intellectual information with no stirring of emotion or move of God's spirit in the heart. Look over in Job. I want to just show you a few verses here. Job 23, in uh, Job chapter 23, in uh, verse 15. So we, we've talked ourselves out of being emotionally, dis uh, di I was going to say emotionally disturbed. <laughs> that might be a good thing, amen. We've talked ourselves out of that because we've had such a, pr a push over the years that tried to disclaim the reality that experiencing the conviction of God is an emotional experience. And we don't base our decisions and the move of God on our emotions, but the reality is if God shows up, you'll be emotionally moved. And what we have is we have intellectually planned God completely out of the picture. And that's the difference between the 11 disciples and Judas Iscariot. In Job chapter 23 in verse 15, in verse 16 it says therefore I am troubled at his presence when I consider I am afraid of him for God maketh my heart soft and the Almighty touches me and uh, Job is crying out here and it says he speaks here well he's acknowledging there was an emotional experience based on the presence of God in his life and uh, Job chapter uh, 37 in verse 1, there's several chapters, I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses in them. Job 37 and verse 1 says, At this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of place. When, when was the last time your heart trembled at the thought that God was present? When, when was the last time you were just emotionally shaken because of the reality of what your sin has done to Christ? and what Christ has offered of himself for you. Well, we don't tremble in the presence of God. Look over in Psalm 40, and I lined these up so you just keep turning right to make it easy for you. I got 632 verses, so you'll be all right. <laughs> I don't have that many. Uh, but anyway, Psalm 40 in verse 12. <clears throat> Psalm 40 in uh, verse 12, it says, For innumerable evils have compassed me about my iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart faileth me. He said, I'm so overwhelmed with iniquity that I can't even look up into the heavens. I can't even look unto my God. I'm afraid we are so distracted in uh, 2019 uh, that it's so cloudy as a Christian that we can't even see through to the heavens. In Psalm 55, in verse 4, it says, My heart is sore pain within me, and the terrors of death are falling upon me. And just trembling in the sight of God. And I have a whole bunch more of them, but that's all right. You can call them to check with me later. I can give them to you later. 
But uh, we'll run out of time real fast looking at all of them. I just wanted to highlight some verses in Job and in the Psalms in the response of Job and also David in reference to how their hearts, their emotions were stirred because of the reality of who their God is and what they had done to their God. And the cry rings out through the centuries as till you get down to the time when Jesus is with his disciples and he warns them and foretells of the betrayal that is going to take place and the 11 of them are moved emotionally exceedingly sorrowful to the point is it is, is it me and they're they're crying out in a way that literally they're saying please don't let it be me is, is, is it me who's doing this is it I who's going to end up betraying you. Uh, They're crying out with the Spirit of God, forbid that should be me. But here comes Judas. Uh, Give me some information. Is it actually for me? And uh, and of course Jesus responds to him, thou hast said. And from that moment on, Judas Iscariot goes out and betrays the Lord. So I want to think of how do we fall in this trap of like Judas of uh, betraying the Lord and we need to once again cry out with exceeding sorrow and say Lord is it I be broken by the fact that we uh, discredit God Uh, we uh, ignore the reality of God in our life and how do we get those things right first of all there's five points four points Um, depends on how many points I add in Um, (laughs) we betray the Lord in our pride we have to watch out for our pride. Our pride will position us in our positioning. We'll position ourselves in a way in reference to whom we think we are or what our talents and skills we believe we have. And as a, our positioning, we end up putting others down. In Mark chapter 9, and you can turn over Mark chapter 9 and verse 33 says that he came to Capernaum and began uh, being in the house he asked them what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way but they held their peace for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest oh man watch out for pride Uh, if you allow your flesh to take control in your life you'll be so puffed up in pride the only thing that you want to know is who is the one that's at the top of the totem pole? Am, am, am I above or am I beneath? They were arguing over who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So you want to be great in the sight of God. It is not about you positioning yourself over others, lording yourself over others, but rather acknowledging the way that we're great in the eyes of God as we humble ourselves and become a servant to one another. When we allow our pride to position us over other people uh, with a spirit of arrogance and disdain for them, uh, we are in Judas Iscariot's position of betraying the Lord. And that's when we need to cry out, Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's being prideful? Am I the one that's out of line here? Am I the one, oh God, I don't want to be the one that's out of line. God, will you convict me or reveal to me how I can get right with you? In our positioning, we allow pride to take control. 
not only that, but in our condemning. Once you position yourself as being greater than someone else, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 38, Jesus goes on in this discord, uh, says, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. And Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give, a cup, give you a cup of water to drink in the name, by name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. We have to be careful about condemning others. I understand that we preach against false doctrine. I understand that we uh, make people aware of heresy that creeps in the churches and uh, conduct that is not becoming a Christian's conduct. I understand those things. But I bless God, I'm gonna tell you one thing right now. There is no need for us to be condemning brothers and sisters in Christ that, that literally know Christ like we know Christ. And, uh, and when we start condemning others, all we're doing is puffing up our pride. I found this over the years. If all you want to do is put somebody else down is because you feel insecure about your own position and you're wanting to elevate yourself. And in that pride, we end up betraying the very character of Christ and the desire of God. In Philippians 1 and 15, uh, through verse uh, 18, Paul says, For some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I am not for compromise. You certainly know me. I've been here long enough, you know, I'm not for compromise, but I am not for condemning people for unreasonable principles. I am not for condemning people based on our preferences. We stand on doctrinal truths. We do not highlight our preferences. And there are churches that do things differently than we do, that believe the same thing that we do. Uh, and I don't think we're right with God when we're running around condemning everybody. And uh, when we need to expose air, we expose the air. But we're not going to go around condemning each other and certainly not going to condemn each other in the church. And I've watched over the years, oftentimes we want to elevate our own personal standards over someone else's standards, and I'm for standards, and I think everybody ought to have standards. They ought to have high standards. And, uh, but the reality is uh, we have to be careful about position ourselves over others and making ourselves as the measure of spirituality. The measure of spirituality is Christ, it's not us. Because the reality is, at very best, all we are is sinners saved by grace. And yet there's people who try to claim that we're not sinners and anymore. And because we're saved by grace, you're no longer a sinner. Then stop sinning. You can't stop sinning. And what happens in our pride, we elevate ourselves by condemning someone else. 
we need to cry out, Lord, is it I? Am I the one being prideful? I really believe God wants to bring revival. I'm praying for a revival. I'm asking God to do something that's going to shake this church. I'm telling you that right now. I have been praying for God to shake this church because we need revival. I told my wife this afternoon, I'm, I'm praying about a message the Lord's been laying on my heart to preach. Uh, the warning signs of a dead church. The warning signs of a church that needs revival. And I'm going to tell you, we need revival, folks. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the churches in America that know the word of God. They need to be stirred by God. And uh, we, we are not going to experience revival if we're going to allow pride to manipulate and control us. We need to be willing to humble ourselves, be exceedingly sorrowful and say, Lord, is it I that is full of pride that I can get this thing right so we might be able to experience the blessings of God. So we uh, betray the Lord in our pride by positioning, condemning, and by self-exalting. And, uh, you know, I, I found this, that you don't have to try to exalt yourself. Let the Lord lift you up. And uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Be kindly affectionate one towards another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Preferring means putting someone else first. It means letting them have the precedent or have the priority, preferring one another. We do not puff ourselves up in pride, in self-exaltation. You know, I'm, I'm, I love preachers. I love listening to preaching and all this, that, and the other. But I've seen so many preachers over the years that all they do is focus on themselves. You know, you, know, you got to do this for the preacher, and you got to exalt the preacher this way, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. Stop exalting man. We exalt Jesus Christ. If he said, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. We don't have to exalt man for God to do something in the church. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. You know, be careful about trying to justify yourself. Job said, if I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. In our pride, we condemn ourselves. And the reality is when we do that, we fall into position with Judas Iscariot in betraying the Lord. So we betray the Lord in our pride. Number two, we betray the Lord in our opposition. In other words, opposition or opposing his will. You cannot fight against the will of God. Uh, whenever you oppose the will of God, uh, you are, are literally uh, being puffed up in pride because you think that you know better about your life than what God knows about your life. In Matthew chapter 16, in uh, verse 21, it says, From that time forth Jesus began to show unto his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. That was the will of God for him. That was the purpose for Christ coming into this world. Look in verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, I wouldn't want the Lord to say that to me. 
Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. So we betray the Lord in our opposition in reference to opposing his will. God has a will for you, and he has a will for me, and we do not want to oppose the will of God. We want to make sure that we are following what Christ has so commanded us to do. Over the years, I've been at this a long time, and I've seen a lot of people say they feel the Lord is calling them into ministry, and they never leave to go into ministry. I've, I Listen, I've been by the bedside of people who are dying, who have told me, well, I'll tell you, my life was ruined because years ago I knew God was calling me in ministry, and I refused to go, and as I'm ready to depart from this life, I have my life full of regrets because I never accomplished what God wanted to do in my life. If it would just say, Lord, is it I? Am, am I rejecting him? Am I refusing your will? We must be willing to surrender our will completely to him. We don't oppose his will. But opposition in reference to destroying our brother. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 9, it says, For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle. Uh, that's the wrong chapter. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, that is not the one. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, not 1 Corinthians 9, in uh, verse 9, it says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which has knowledge, sit at meat, in an idol's temple shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. Paul is simply saying this. See, the problem in the Corinthian church where there, there was idol worship, there was heathen worship, and they would buy meat that was offered and sacrificed unto the gods of the heathen, and that meat was cheaper than buying other meat, and many would buy that meat and eat it, and, and there, yet there were those that said, no, we're not supposed to eat anything that's offered unto idols, and they were young in the faith, and they, were a, they became a stumbling block to those that were weak. So what is he saying? He's saying you need to be the stronger one and realize your actions will cause somebody else to stumble and fall. So withhold yourself. It may not be wrong. It's not going to be effective spiritually in your life at all to eat meat that was offered unto idols, but it will cause someone else to fall. And so you limit yourself. You don't, you don't get, you condemn the person who is stumbling and falling because they're weak in the faith. And I think sometimes we forget that we are opposing the Lord and denying the Lord, betraying the Lord, when we do not take in consideration our actions and our effects on others that are around us. And so we don't want to destroy one another. Notice also expressing anger in James chapter 1. In verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Well, that'd be a good verse for some people to memorize. Because you cannot be a person who is consumed with anger and not be one who's betraying the very character of Christ. And uh, I, I've dealt with people sometimes, and I'll tell you, they're just always mad about everything. You know, if it's sunshine and it's too hot outside, 
If it's raining, there's no sunshine, you know. I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on. The church is moving and church gets full. Uh, you know, they're mad because there's nowhere to sit. Or somebody comes in as a visitor and sits in your pew. And you have to stand over top of them, stare them down to get them out of your pew. Because it's where you sit, you know. And just expressing anger against people. And we wonder why God doesn't move. Uh, we're betraying the Lord when we oppose our brothers in Christ. We're opposing uh, the will of God and betraying the Lord when we're constantly being consumed with anger. We are opposing and putting ourselves in a position of betraying the Lord every time we ignore His will and leadership in our life. If God is opening the door, God has impressed His will on your life, then just get on with it. Amen? remember my wife and I got saved. We felt God calling us into ministry. I felt the Lord was calling me to preach. And uh, I'll tell you, we went and looked at some colleges. We saw Midwestern. And my pastor was like, uh, you should stay here a while. You're young in the Lord. And different people saying, well, you shouldn't be going out there. You, you wouldn't make a pastor. She wouldn't make a pastor's wife. They're going on all these things. And they said, well, what are you doing? I said, all right, put my truck up for sale. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. And they're like, you're what? I said, I'm leaving. God's called me, and God's leading me. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot position yourself in opposition to what it is that God wants to do. Because when you do, you're being like Judas Iscariot, where you're just saying, okay, I want to know, am I opposing you, Lord? Okay, but I'm not stirred by it. We ought to weep when we think that we might be opposing the will of God. And so we betray the Lord in our pride, in our opposition. We betray the Lord in our contention. In other words, when all we're worried about is what's in it for me. In um, uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, uh, it's amazing. Uh, one of the scribes came having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all. And now, um, I guess it would be nice if I got it in Mark chapter 10 instead of Mark chapter 12. My goodness, my bifocals are all out of whack here tonight. Amen. Mark chapter 10 and verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus said in verse 29, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands, and persecutions in the world to come eternal life but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Peter just simply wanted to know what's in it for me. You know, people come in the church. One of the hardest things to build church, build ministries, is people come in and they want to know what's in it for me. They, instead of coming in and saying, what can I do for the Lord? They come in and say, what are you going to do for me? What's in it for me? When we do that, we're betraying the Lord because it creates contention within the body of Christ. There's contention in our the reality of who we are and what we're supposed to try to accomplish. And uh, it's, not, it's not about what's in it for you. Uh, the Lord does not, listen, He does not ignore His children. 
He provides for us and he cares for us and he takes care of us over and over and over again. I don't need to go into this thing thinking about what's in it for me. What am I going to get out of this? You know, back in 1979 when I got saved and I surrendered to go into ministry, I didn't go into ministry thinking, wow, I wonder how much money I'm going to make. I wonder how many things I'll be able to possess and have. No, no, no. When we got saved, we just said, Lord, here's our life. Take us, use us. That's all, you, that's all we want. Whatever it is, you'll do. And wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to accomplish, it is not about what's in it for me. And we have to watch ourselves because in the, the world in which we live, everybody is consumed with that thought process. And the church need listen, the reason why church is always looking for workers and needing people to fill spots is because there is a spirit of, well, I have this to do. I want this entertainment. I want to be able to experience that. I can't sacrifice. I, you know, if I do that, what, it's going to mess my schedule up. It's going to mess my life up. I'm going to have to take days off from work. I'm going to lose money and all this. No, stop. Lord, is it I? I don't want to live with the idea I'm just trying to get whatever's for me. And so, Lord, is it I, contention that develops. When there's strife between us, James chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endureth, uh, endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. See, contention causes us to betray the Lord and we need to be willing to be convicted about that and just simply cry out to the Lord and say uh, God is it I so that because if you don't ask the question you're not going to make a decision about doing something about it and then we betray the Lord in our unfaithfulness notice when we forsake the Lord we're unfaithful when we forsake the Lord and uh, I was thinking just before I got up to preach, I was sitting here and I was just kind of reading through my notes and reviewing a few passages. And I was just spanning across the, conversa the con congregation, not conversation. I was just sitting there spanning. I slept too much this afternoon, amen. <laughs> I tell you, I was, I was out today. Anyway, I was sitting there, I was just spanning my eyeballs across the congregation. And I thought, where's so-and-so? so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so and I thought we're in trouble we're in trouble because we're forsaking the Lord and we betray Christ when we forsake our God. Mark chapter 14 in verse 50. Real long 
deep theological verse. And they all forsook him and fled. Talking with different pastors about present day ministry, that is a problem. And they all forsook him and fled. We, we, we need a spirit of revival that brings us back to the reality that God has called us to salvation and sanctification and God has called us to gather together to worship him when the doors of the church are open. You say, well, we're the Sunday night crowd. We're here. Yeah, but you understand how many people are not here tonight that have been the Sunday night crowd. See, if you're not willing to say, Lord, is it I? Am I starting to have these feelings? I don't need to be in church. Am I starting to have these feelings that I don't, I don't need to acknowledge your will in my life? Am I starting, If you won't say that, you won't be convicted by that, you're not going to make any decision about it. So when we forsake the Lord, when we deny the Lord, John chapter 18 and verse 25, Simon Peter stood and warming himself, and they said, therefore, in him art thou not thou one of the disciples? And he denied it and said, I know I'm not. I am not. And we know this story about Peter. Three times he denies the Lord. But may I say this? Peter would not have had the opportunity to deny the Lord if he wasn't hanging out with the world's crowd. And the way we betray the, betray the Lord in unfaithfulness is when we connect stronger and more deliberate with the unsaved crowd than we do with the Christian crowd. And it, let me tell you, you cannot escape the effects of the world on your life. And that's why we need each other, and that's why we need the teaching of the Word of God. That's why we need the prayers offered up before the Lord. That's why we need to gather together. In 2019, we should not be diminishing the significance of church worship and church Bible study. We ought to be increasing it. They all forsook him. Peter denied him. And then I thought of John chapter 20, when we doubt the Lord. You know, you know the story about Thomas in John 20. We won't turn over there. But he doubted whether the Lord had rose out of the grave. He had witnesses. He heard testimonies. He was assured that he was alive by a multitude of people, but he doubted the fact that the Lord was alive. And whenever we doubt the Lord's ability to do what he says he can do, because he told Thomas with all the others, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and three days later I'm going to rise again. And we do not allow our faith to increase based on the reality of who Christ is and what he can do we end up betraying the Lord because we become unfaithful. Now, the question is just simply this. There's two responses. Lord is as I, that was based on exceeding, being exceedingly sorrowful and emotional distress. Or there was master is it I, based on trying to get information. How will you respond? How will I respond? Will I respond to God based on 
sorrow that's brought about by the conviction of the Holy Spirit because I am going against who my Savior is? Or am I going to just simply respond about, oh, well, you know, I just need to know some information. Judas Iscariot getting information from Jesus did not change his life. It embraced his rebellious spirit and his denial and rejection and betrayal of Christ to where his life was taken in suicide. But the other disciples who were stirred emotionally, their lives were changed because they had hope and expectation that Christ would rise again. And when they saw him alive, they turned the world upside down for Christ. It makes a difference on how you respond to God. And there must be a tenderness. There must be emotional response. There needs to be a sorrowing over sin. Uh, there needs to be a stirring in our hearts that yearns for a move and a touch from God. And if God doesn't move, we're going to weep and cry out to God until he does. It's not just, oh, well, what do we have to do to have revival? Oh, let's call preacher so-and-so. I mean, everybody likes him. He's popular in the world. We'll have him come. We'll be able to pack the place out. You understand, you can pack this place out and have television cameras in every room in this building to be able to hold everybody here because preacher so-and-so is so famous and not have revival. Because all we're doing is gathering to get intellectual information. And what we need is a stirring from God. Lord, is it I? I've been praying. That's what I've been praying. God, is it me? That's what I've been praying. God, is it me? Because I know this thing. I cannot take the church, take you as your pastor, to a relationship with the Lord where I have not been myself. And Jesus is confronting his disciples in reference to the betrayal that was taking place. And I believe God is speaking to us and telling us there's a betrayal going on. There's a betrayal going on. So are we going to say, Lord, oh God, oh Lord, it, it can't be. What is it me? Oh God, please don't let it be me. Or are we saying, oh, I wonder if I could talk to so-and-so and find out who it is. Be careful. Lord, is it I? Let's pray. My Father, I come to you. I thank you. I do thank you for the Spirit of God. I thank you for conviction that comes on our hearts, Lord. We're not, we're, we're not talking about anything that is man-manipulated or generated. We're talking about an anointing that comes from the throne of God. We're talking about a conviction that cannot be satisfied until we are completely, totally surrendered to you. And so, God, we send revival. We send the Spirit of God upon us. God, will you, will you convict us? Oh, God, just break our heart. That we might truly cry out sincerely, Lord, is it I that we might be able to do something about it? We might be able to repent. 
I'd be able to turn back to you. We're thankful for the Lord's Supper, which you instituted when this was going on, Lord, reminding the disciples where they can find the answers for truth, life, deliverance. It's through the sacrifice of Christ and Christ alone. Lord, speak to our hearts. Move upon us. Send, Lord, that old-time revival upon us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song.